Wednesday, February 15th, recording the DPBC uh, with our guest, Adam Rivera. Tech GC. Brought to you by Tech GC. Tech GC, everybody. Tech GC. Uh, here we are. We're here, man. What's up? Hey, what's up? How are you? Dude, we're going to talk about my favorite subject, food. Pumped. DoorDash. <laughs> you are up. So we have Adam Rivera from DoorDash. And you are a power power user, I'd say. So is Keanu. Keanu decided he wants to bark. And guess what he's barking at? The DoorDash guy. True story. True story. I love it. I love it. I don't want to delay your poke bowl or whatever. No, it's cool, man. He <laughs> just pulled in. Thanks, Kiki, for alerting me that my food is here. It's good to have the dog because <laughs> the DoorDash dude just pulled up. How interesting is that? And um, it's a company I love, bro, a service I use. And Adam is a good, smart guy. I'm glad he's there because they got all my data, man. Yep. He's got such a cool, like, winding career through different paths. Oh, I love his paths. career. And one of, the things that, one of the things he talks about is – he was he volunteered to run like a large cross-functional project when he was at Reuters. And I can't tell you how many times we've heard somebody put their hand up and they're just running a big project. It's it's the legal work is, as you know, it's got a lot of similarities. And being able to run a large, complex project crosses all borders in a company and just shows, yeah, this person can be trusted, can be yeah, trusted totally with big with you, things, you know. Yeah, saying yes to cool shit always leads to great success. I mean, that's just what's up, man. I don't think the formula is that complicated, and he knows when to say yes. Um, he worked for a company I didn't know. I'm not going to mention it now. You got to listen to the pod. But, like, dude, I'm so pumped about that. Like, he's just got a cool, yeah. dynamic career. He's been experimental. He's worked out all these completely different places. And, like, I really admire that, man. I, I don't like one-trick ponies, and he is definitely not that. Yeah, I mean, versatility yeah, that's is it. a huge aspect, you know, of I think any any profession, but I think it plays really well in the in-house legal context. Yeah, I think that's right, man. I'm excited. I'm excited to share the conversation with him, with everybody. It was good. All right, here we are. Hey, we're here. What's up? Yes, we got Adam Rivera from DoorDash. Hey, Adam, how are you? Doing well. Good morning, guys. Happy to be Dude, here. You know, good I, to see the, you. In the spirit of us being here with DoorDash, I'm gonna. I, I know some folks can't see this at home, but I'm gonna share my screen with you. My DoorDash is on its fucking <laughs> way. Okay. This Love is, it. What'd you, what'd you order? Uh, I got a um, uh, like a rice bowl situation today. It's pretty good. It's called Bowl Lab, rice bowl. and I order from bowl them or like once a local place. Local, like a Chipotle local. place? Local. Oh, I see what you're asking. No, it's a local place. Yeah, it's a local place. Okay, cool. cool. Love it. Love yeah, it. Uh, I'm a big Adam, DoorDasher, I mean, man. I, I would like, imagine, like, yeah. Like, I, it's unbelievable. I live alone. I, You know, I, I'm not going to cook for one. That's, like, boring and pathetic. So, like, I order DoorDash at least three or four times a week. And it's, it's all the surrounding restaurants around me, and it's perfect, and I love it, and 85% of the time the order is on time and spot on. That's pretty good, I think. That is pretty good. It's pretty good. Nice. Pretty good. Well, one of the reasons we were we we'd like to have people from companies that we are really, really like a lot. And yeah. this is definitely it's great to have you on in your story, but also we really love we love DoorDash. Like legitimately we do. when we had uh 
uh, different companies on it. So it's always nice to have people like doing things that, you know, at apps that that we use you know, are really, really useful. Yeah, I yeah. love DoorDash, man. Been, I've been on the Dash Pass since since it came out. Like I'm not playing any games, man. That's great. You're, sa- you're saving a lot of money using Dash Pass. Man, yeah, I really sure. am. I really am. Yeah. What's, so, Adam, what's, what's your go-to? Uh, I know, obviously, like I'm sure people that work at DoorDash use it a lot. What's your go-to maneuver? Yeah, so my go-to right now, I mean, it's sort of like ebbs and flows, right? Right now, I think there's a new Mexican place in town nice. called Three Amigos, um, nice. which is pretty solid. Like, so I, I live in a town in central Connecticut, which does not have a you know, sort of a bustling restaurant scene. And to get three amigos is sort of a huge improvement for us. Um, so that's probably been our go-to. Like we had it last night. We door dashed it last night. It's kind of our go-to. Um, I think what I'm really excited about though for DoorDash is like is, is the groceries, right? Like that to me is huge. Because I got three kids, they eat a lot of food. Like I'm at the grocery store pretty much every day. Um, like sometimes twice a day. And so having grocery on DoorDash is huge. Like Wait, having this is happening? all the on. I didn't yeah. know. Did you not Pedro, did you watch the Super Bowl, bud? Oh man, I missed the message, dude. <laughs> I didn't know this, dude. Like I, I'm so yeah. pissed off at Amazon right now because I use Amazon Fresh like for years now. And then they now they want to charge me. It's like the worst situation possible. They want to charge me this exorbitant amount of money because I live essentially punishing me for living alone. I don't do $150 worth of groceries, man. I, I, I don't. I never. And so like uh, consolidating all of my deliveries in one app is going to be great. I'm really pumped about this, man. This is the best news. Yeah. Yeah. There's a good there's a good there's a good DoorDash ad that we ran during the Super Bowl. Check it out. It's cool. It's got it's got Tiny Chef from Nickelodeon on it, which my kids oh, really like that. Tiny Chef. It has Raekwon from Wu Tang in it. What? Um, it's How did super, I miss it's this? Super cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's super cool. Um, check it out. And yeah, like we, we've been in grocery for a while, but it's definitely an area where we're going deeper into. And we see like Aldi getting on the platform recently, which I'm excited about because, as I say, my kids eat a lot of food and all these a little bit. Uh, Adam, little what, bit. Adam, what's the strategy there? I mean, like I guess from a high level perspective, and we like. It's obvious, you know, the the value prop of of restaurant, you know, t- to your house is is pretty high. The competitive landscape of grocery with Instacart and Amazon, it's got to be pretty like intense. Obviously, you have the logistics piece, but like, what's the what's the sort of like high level strategic plan with respect to grocery? Obviously, you do a Super Bowl ad. You're you're investing in it. Yeah, I mean, I think listen, DoorDash really is a local commerce and tech company. Um, and so we try to serve our customers, you know, in the communities for which they live, right? And so if that means restaurant delivery, which people know us for quite well, um, that's helpful. But clearly things like um, grocery is hugely impactful. It's a hard, it's a hard business to get into yeah. from what I gather. I'm not, I'm not in the business side, but I know that it's a hard business to get into making sure inventories are correct and updated. It's a challenging piece um, pulling orders is challenging, but it's an area where we think our customers are going to get great, great value from. I know me personally, it's an area where I'm going to get great, great value from. So I think that's the that's the play. Um, and I think it's just trying to find all, all the very different solutions, right? That sort of like make the customers happy, right? Like one of the other things I used around the holidays that we pushed out, um, you know, like everyone, we do a ton of online shopping and we do a ton of online returns, right? And so now we have this this sort of this add-on in DoorDash where you could like have a Dasher pick up your FedEx and return it to FedEx for you. Nice. And like, it's a, it's a pretty good fee. And that that's really helpful, right? From a consumer perspective. And to Pedro's point, I think it's like, 
right? We want to make it so like if your dasher is like picking up your order at Chipotle and you're like, oh crap, I really want some Ben and Jerry's too because I'm having a Super Bowl party. Like you could add that kind of stuff in your cart right before you check out and like the dasher will stop at both places. Oh, that's right? cool. Yeah, yeah so that's cool. cool. It's really trying to understand what the consumer wants and like truly being customer obsessed. So, bro, first of all, shout out. Like, I was just digging around on the app, and Aldi's there, and Sprouts is there. These are like my two favorite supermarkets. So, I'm, I didn't even know this, and I used the fucking app multiple times. There you go. So, uh, way to bring you some just knowledge. got a. Uh, you just got an active user. No, I already am an active user, <laughs> oh. but now I'm like doubling down. So, like, shout out to keep. Like, you know, I like Instacart and other apps, but if I can do it all in one place, man, like, it's just easy. Yeah, that's great. To that point, though. Um, let's turn it into like a privacy question. And then I like, I, because it's really interesting to me, unlike Amazon, which is sort of like the hoarder of all the data because they sell and ship and distribute and do everything themselves. You guys work with all these partners, obviously. Um, like how do you implement, like, how do you, how do you even approach that from like a data protection standpoint? Like what's the, what's the angle there? Cause you're dealing with all of these partners, all of which have reward programs and shit, I'm sure at least some of them. And so how does that all play? How do you, how do you create a governance around all that yeah super complicated right that's what keeps the job fun so i lead the privacy compliance team at doordash um and that's what i spend a lot of my time thinking about how do we do that how do we scale that right and we think about sort of our three-legged solo doordash around sort of customers merchants and dashers and from a privacy and data protection perspective right there's sort of different interests for each of those right and and so we have to sort of keep all of their interests at the top of mind at all times and, and right, we have different products too, um, where we take the position, right? We're a controller, we're a business and some products we take the position, we're a processor or we're a service provider, right? So we're getting the privacy geek speak right now. And all of that matters, of course, right? Because what you can do with the data changes, of course. Um, so building out those sort of guardrails around the data. Um, I think it's really, it's a really interesting question. I don't know that I have a great answer for you other than to say, I try to keep really close to the business, understand where they're going, where they want to go. Um, and try to sort of, and I think they do a really good job of that. We partner really closely with our product council and, and our product council here are like stellar, right? They are on like the most privacy lawyers I know, in fact. So like Adam, on your team, do you divide it up uh, based on the three-legged stool like that you mentioned? Like you have a team that focuses in those different areas and then it rolls up to central thinking or is it just pro- based on, you know, product council and who you work with? We don't. So my team covers the whole of the business, but we have product counsel that cover the various verticals, right? So if it's, I work with folks that are supporting like the dasher side of the business. I work with folks that support the customer and merchant side. And so those folks are going to be escalating up to us and bringing us in as appropriate. But we cover the whole of the business, which is really cool because we have line of sight, really everything that's happening. Yeah. That's still um, really challenging to context switch that much i think that's one of the things i've found you're not even switching about like you got to interplay all of them like it's con intersectionality all day long that's hard how'd you get into the like doordash biz man like how do you end up here how does that happen what a cool company it is a cool company yeah yeah so i so i moved into privacy like back in like 2016 or so i was doing employment law work um at any competition work at firms and and then sort of awful. went in house, went in house, <laughs> um, and and sort of did employment work for a while in house, and then made the move to do privacy work, um, and through a lot of different things, 
ended up at DoorDash. Um, so my last role, I was at, I was at a company um, called Infinitive, which was bought by the London Stock Exchange Group. So big financial data provider, right? Huge financial data provider um, and very much EU focused, right? And so when, when I decided it was time to make that change, right, I actually talked, I think I talked to you, Andy, at one point, maybe about this to sort of pick your brain even at, at one point, because I was really intentional, like unlike the rest of my career where I was not intentional, like even getting into privacy was not an intentional act on my part, was really sort of pushed into it. Um, I was really intentional about where I went, right? Like the, the good thing for the folks that do privacy, and I think folks that do it well, um, there's lots of opportunity. And so when I was looking at roles, I tried to find a place where I was going to have the opportunity to really have tons of value add, right? Um, and our team is pretty lean here, which is, which is, you know, could be challenging, right? But it's also a great opportunity to just contribute an incredible amount to the business, which really excites me. We get a lot of shit done here. The London Stock Exchange or whatever sounds so far away from like a cool app that yeah. does dope shit, man. What a transition, right? Like- <laughs> I, I I picture the are you do you wear like wigs in the London stock? I don't like, <laughs> I don't you know come on bro dude like what's going on. on over there man it just sounds official as hell man we're we're excited to have our guest barrister Rivera that's right man were you like a barrister today? is that what they referred to you as like, come on <laughs> yeah no it's 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 it, LSEG is really doing a lot of interesting work right now. They just announced a major partnership with Microsoft like a couple weeks ago. Major, major partnership with Microsoft. They're doing some interesting work. But listen, I'm really happy where I am right now. I think the work is super innovative. Um, it's much more sort of, you know, I'd say I'd say U.S. focused right now for me. Um, obviously, we're international, but much more U.S. focused. And I'm, I'm enjoying the break from a lot of the EU work that I've done for the good portion of my career. When you go like employment into privacy you know i I know you said it maybe wasn't intentional like i get questions from you know (laughs) young people that want to get into privacy and they're in a a law firm doing litigation or they're in a law firm doing something that really isn't directly connected to privacy and they're just like i really love it i want to get into it like it's very different how did you you have to blend the thread somehow so how did you you know do that yeah, that happened a bit organically for me. I had a really good mentor at the time. I was at Thomson Reuters at the time. Um, Thomson Reuters, of course, was you know large conglomerate, had lots of businesses like its legal business, which we all know from like Westlaw, practical law. We had a tax and accounting business, financial risk business, an IP and science business. Um, and I had a really great mentor who always would encourage me to say yes to pretty much every opportunity. And so I, I took her advice on that front. So I, I would raise my hand quite often when our general counsel was looking for folks um, to do projects, global projects, cross-functional projects. And, and so, um, you know, this is in the run-up to GDPR, right? There's a lot of poaching going on. Our privacy team had some departures, if I'm honest. Um, and, and so there was opportunities for me to, to dive into different things. And so I actually didn't dive right into privacy. What I did was I, I led a very massive cross-functional program, modifying and updating our code of conduct, like not the most sexy thing in the world to do, but if anyone's ever done it, it requires like, especially at a large organization where you're, you know, you're doing business in 189 countries, um, it requires you to bring in lots of different partners and lots of different viewpoints. And I ran that project. And, and so I sort of started making myself known to the, the org outside of employment. I started doing compliance type work, right? And then organically, it came up like, can you lead some work streams at the time for GDPR? Like we ran a big GDPR 
readiness program, like lots of organizations. And there was like, can you run these work streams? So I started running those work streams, right? And then organically was like, hey, our GC pulled me aside one day in New York and was like, hey, I really think you should make the move to privacy. I know you like employment work. I really think this privacy stuff is like the next big thing. I think you will do really well here. And so I was like, and she's not the kind of person you say no to, right? She's like, she's like, no joke. Um, and so I was like, you know, if you think this is right for my career, I trust you. Like I put my faith in her and I knew she was looking out for my best interest. Truly. I, I really felt that. Um, and so I made the move to privacy. I spent a lot of time in London after that, you know, really like getting in the weeds and GDPR, learning how to build programs from the ground up. Do you think that she was saying that to you because she saw privacy as another vector towards general counsel? Because we've talked about a lot, like there's this sort of like staid traditional route of like the corporate lawyer or the like, you know, deputy GC that's gone all the way up through the ranks or sometimes the outside corporate lawyer comes in and is the GC. And we think we're biased, obviously, but we think privacy is a vector. And I think it's starting to play out. But do you think she saw that? I think she did see that. I think she also, she, she, she definitely was of the, of the mindset that folks should be really well-rounded to be GCs, particularly at large organizations, right? And privacy, you, you can't really sort of be a GC and not, not be in the privacy space and have an understanding of cyber and how it affects your board and so on. Um, she was also of the mind that like, because I know she did it herself, right? You actually need to be in the business at some point. So at, at one point in her career, she stepped away from being a GC and went into the business for a few years, right? And I know that's an area that she's always pushing. Um, she's since left that company and now she's at um, Estee Lauder. Um, but she's always pushing folks to sort of take those opportunities to, to get into the business, which I think is something that's, as I look at my career, right? I'm pro probably not right now, but at some point I would love to say like, how do I make that move into the business for a period of time? I'm not saying I'd stay there forever perhaps, but I think it's really cool, right? Like our, our former chief legal officer for DoorDash, Keith Yandel, is now the chief business officer for DoorDash, right? And like, he's amazing. Like you listen to him talk, you're like, holy shit, this guy's like money. Um, and like, I think that's so cool, right? Like he got the buy-in from Tony and the leadership team to take on like a chief business role after being like GC. And that's pretty cool, I think, and exciting. Really cool. Pedro, do you feel like you stepped into the business now that you're in a policy role as opposed to a pure uh, commercial or privacy role? I mean, I'm definitely closer to the business, I would say. Um, and uh, it's just a different relationship because from where I sit now, you're sort of working in the looking around the corner space. I think legal departments aren't necessarily always as forward looking. They're very much trying to make sure that whatever is in the present is compliant and that we're not getting in trouble, right? Or the company's not getting in trouble. Like my job is really more focused on what's five years look like and how do we lay the groundwork for that? Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that's super cool. Getting business leads, legal, other organizations within a company, any company to focus on the future that is around the corner. So therefore not necessarily within line of sight is really hard, Andy. It's the hardest thing I've tried to do as a professional because people don't think it's important um, and it's hard to prioritize for it. But if you want a hundred year business, not a 10 year business, you got to do it. I learned this at Oracle. Oracle is a very quiet company, quietly making a lot of money for a really long time. Okay. And stable leadership, stable organization, stable client base. Why is that? 
Well, what I learned at Oracle is Oracle doesn't really live in the present, man. Oracle li lives in this future state that they're constantly building toward. And what's amazing about being in that posture is that if you're smart and clever and intentional, you shape the future. And like this is like you decide, <laughs> like not you decide, but like you help the decision makers figure out how to govern whatever it is you're designing because you're talking to them early and often about what you're making and how it going to land and what's the most durable way to do it. I don't think a lot of Silicon Valley startups have this DNA in them yet. They think like we made a cool widget and like we'll make a lot of money really fast and then we'll build all the compliance after. That's sort of like the model of Silicon Valley the last 15, 20 years. I think that's going to change. But how does anyway. DoorDash approach that? Yeah. How does DoorDash approach that like forward thinking? Yeah. I mean, I, I think like Tony and, and, and the, you know, DoorDash is a, is a co-founder run company. And so I think that says a lot about sort of the culture here. Um, I think really forward looking, right? Trying to look around that corner. From, from what I've seen, I've been here almost a year now, right? I see us take, op take chances, take opportunities, make big bets. If things don't work, we move on, right? Um, I, think that, I think that's right. I think that's definitely you know, what attracted me to the company. It's what keeps my role super exciting, right? If I was just doing sort of stodgy old privacy work every day, like that's not super exciting in my books. It's, it's an interesting question because I think like, Back to the, you know, my, my former GC and sort of like, you know, did she think privacy was the next big thing? I've since caught up with her and, and she, you know, she's, she's talked a lot about something I think about quite a bit, which is like, do we move away from privacy and think more about sort of data and data governance? Like, because truthfully, I don't do like, when I think about what I do during a given day, like it's not all private, it's really not privacy. Like it doesn't really fit in this like square box of privacy, right? Like, I do all sorts of random things to do with data and data governance and doing the right thing, like being the gatekeeper for doing the right thing in the organization when it comes to data. And so that's like really interesting to me, sort of how these roles evolve um, and how privacy functions evolve. I'm curious if you guys have thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned it yourself with respect to product counsel and how those are some of the deepest privacy lawyers that you know. And I saw this firsthand at MasterCard where they have an entire separate division called data strategy. When we sold our company to MasterCard, there was a completely separate due diligence called data strategy. So there's privacy, of course, and there was there was a, a data protection and, and GDPR and all that stuff. But they definitely approach it from a much bigger 30,000 foot data strategic view and just it's the world is not there yet. I think some companies do, and some are kind of seeing the forest through the trees. And uh, uh, you know, I have to imagine. I'm, I'm going to guess, but like Facebook Meta has to be right in a position to to think about it much more globally in, in yeah, terms look, of like it's the that strategy. data strategy model you just framed. We have it. It's called different things, but it's the same structure. And like obviously, the stakes are really high where I work. Um, because so many people are involved and so much information is involved. Um, and we make a lot of investments to like try to govern that as responsibly as we can. But it is to like the point um, Adam made, it's not just a privacy analysis. I mean, it is a data protection approach, which is security, collection, stewardship, deletion. Like th these all sound like privacy issues and they are. But they're more than that, right? Like, and so also like stewardship itself, right? Like that is a 
there's a provenance question there. There's like a lot mm -hmm. of things that aren't necessarily privacy specific that like the practitioners working on the data governance of any corporation have to be thinking about. Right. Um, I think, you know, one of the lucky things for me working where I work is, you know, we tend to attract like the smartest and the brightest and the most talented, which is amazing in the sense that like we get a lot of cool creative ideas when there are disagreements though it's it's tricky people really believe what they think you know and so <laughs> and I, you know and so like it is a it is a delicate difficult process to undertake at any company and i think like the higher the scrutiny and the stakes like just the more intentional you have to be about like how you go about the work of governance um, because the how you do it really matters, man. And it's not sexy. It's not Hollywood. It's not going to make the news. There's no glamour. There's no glory when you're in the trenches, like looking at, you know, data maps. Like that's not, you know, that's not Hollywood. But that's that's bread and butter core data protection stuff that I think we all have to do. Yeah. Like features and tools matter a lot in yeah. both of your respective pla yeah. platforms. When you have consumers interacting with your app, um, like, like Adam, I was playing around with DoorDash earlier and looking at the privacy settings and looking at location. And I just like, it, it's so intuitively easy to deal with your location, which is a huge important piece of that experience that you all have made consumer accessible. Mm -hmm. Like not everybody does that. Yeah. Yeah. It's something we think a lot about and listen, I think it's something that we're we're always looking to improve upon, right? Like it's, it's a journey. Like we're always trying to improve upon it. We're always trying to harmonize across different applications that we might have. Like, I don't, I don't think we have it fully figured out and we don't have anything in an ideal state ever. We're always questioning and figuring out how we could do it better. But it is something that like our, our team thinks deeply about. And, and the great thing for us is we really get, you know, I, I mean, you both know it's really hard to get injury sources to, you know, to, to make changes when you're like, Hey, I want you to do this to the app, right? A lot mm -hmm. of organizations are going to just prioritize that, right? That's not on the business. Yeah. Um, here, I think there's, you know, if, if we have a solid reason and we could put together a walk that makes sense, we have great buy-in from our inch function and our leadership team to say, like, let's make this happen. One of our one of our core values, and we have, we have some really cool values here, um, but one that resonates on that topic is like this idea that like we talk about and not either or. Um, and like, that's, that's so true. Like we, we try to, you know, we, we do all of it, right. We just don't say like, we're going to do this and not do this. Right. We do it all. Right. Um, we prioritize ruthlessly, of course, like my, I'm always pushing my team to prioritize, um, and to risk, you know, risk great things, but it, it means that we, we try to get the application and sort of our privacy practices to the right place all the time. Let me ask um, you and about it's a journey. Yeah. Let me ask you about ruthless prioritization. Cause I hear that term all the time. And when I push back on prioritization exercises, what I'm usually pushing back on is, are we being ruthless? Are we being vigorous about how, what we're prioritizing? I am of the school of thought that if you are ruthlessly, vigorously prioritizing, something has to hurt. Something you wanted to do isn't going to happen. A risk you didn't want to take, you're going to have to take. Like, if there is no pain, I don't think you're ruthlessly prioritizing. What are your reactions? I'm, I'm picturing like I'm picturing like somebody with a pirate outfit, you know, like <laughs> ruthlessly prioritizing. Yeah, no, but I'm <laughs> serious. Like, like, like if the sh you know if the ship is sinking and you need five more minutes, uh, you know, you got to toss off overboard. Like, you got to pick what they are. Like, you know, and so, like, I think 
what does ruthless prioritization mean to you guys? Because what it means to me is there must be pain felt or it's not happening. I think that's right. Um, I think that's right. But I would say that there there needs to be pain felt maybe in the short term, perhaps. But I think that there's ways to structure it such that you're you put something on a longer walk, maybe. So you say this isn't going to be the priority for this quarter, but we'll get to it in the next quarter, right? Or we can make an incremental step this quarter, but you're not going to get to the pure MVP you want in this quarter. But we will get there for you. Um, but that said, like if this is just some green shoot, right? That like somebody in the business has, and you're like this just seems crazy, right? Like, and this doesn't seem, it seems like a disproportionate amount of work for legal for this thing. I think, you know, what I hear from my leadership team is escalate that up and we will partner with you, right? We'll partner with the business to explain to them that like, this is going to disproportionately take our resources and is it worth it? And like people here are very open to those conversations and that's really helpful, I think. Um, But yeah, Pedro, you're absolutely right. Like something has to give, right? There's only so many hours in the day and if you are ruth, truly ruthlessly prioritizing, like something's going to go in the back burner, right? And that's going to piss somebody off because that's yeah. their OKR quarter, right? Right. <laughs> before we before we have to jump, I do want to ask like about Louis Vuitton, where you did work for a little while. That you seems did? like such an interesting place to work. Yes, and like I didn't know. This. I don't. I don't. I don't imagine that you're like wearing a lot of Louis Vuitton gear, but like. Did you? Did, did you? Do you have suitcases? Do you have luggage? Do you still have do you it? Have like, what trunks. a cool brand. The trunk. What a cool yeah. brand. <laughs> I don't have any trunks. Trunks are hard to get. They're really expensive. They are. Um, and they they custom made um, out in France. Um, I do have some Louis Vuitton gear. I have a bunch of ties. Um, <laughs> I never have the opportunity to wear anymore because, like, who the hell wears ties anymore, yeah, right? Like, right. I asked for a, an LV tie at a funeral. Um, and my kids were like, they were like, they've never seen me wear a suit and tie, I think. Um, and they were shocked. Um, but I, I do have a bunch of ties. I have like a portfolio, right? Because that's something you always need when you go to your business meetings to have a portfolio. Like this is like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with this thing ever. Um, it looks nice. It's cool. Um, I have some wallets. Uh, my wife has a few purses and a few statement pieces. There you um, go. Yeah, we don't have as, mu- as much as I'd like. I mean, I wish I took each <laughs> <more> other. <laughs> there I, it is. Nice. You got some salt damage on there or something. Nobody. <laughs> this is a limited edition Louis Vuitton wallet. Oh, that's that's or, not that. Oh, this okay. is intentionally designed this way in case you're ooh, curious. Ooh. I'm obsessed <laughs> with Louis Vuitton. People who know me know this, by the way. Like, I'm not like a, you know, I don't close a store down when I show up. I mean, I'm just a guy. But, like, I love Louis Vuitton. I have a bunch of sneakers. I have scarves. Like, I have just random Louis Vuitton wallet, obviously. Uh, clothes. I love Louis Vuitton. Big fan. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great brand, a great story. Um, I left Louis Vuitton in like 2013. Um, I would say that from my perspective, the brand has gotten much more innovative and much cooler sure. since then. If design has changed dramatically, Virgil Abloh, um, which is yeah, totally changed, changed, changed the DNA the name, of that right? company for the better, for sure. Um, and that's unfortunate for me because I didn't get to partake in like the employee. What a wave that would have been. I had already. That would have been a cool wave, man. Uh, like, Louis Vuitton had a run, company. like, had a three year run in the last few years that was like epic, man, as a fashion house. I love this conversation. This is so yeah. much better than privacy. We should talk about Louis Vuitton for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> Louis Vuitton's dope. Yeah. I once I had the opportunity to go out. So they, they make a bunch of stuff in the US. A lot of folks don't realize that. They make a bunch of stuff out in California, though, um, out in San Dimas and Ontario. 
And I had the opportunity to go out there a bunch of times. And, and one time I went out there, they, they let me try to make like a little, um, like a, almost like a luggage holder. Um, and my sewing was just like terrible. Like, trash. Like, dude, like, <laughs> I have it downstairs in the basement somewhere. It's really pitiful. Um, but it's my one attempt at sort of being an artist. Nice, man. Well, now you're a privacy artisan. Now um, you're exactly, <laughs> man. You're a craftsman of the highest order now. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to go, but thanks for being with us, Adam. Thanks for coming and, and love hearing about your story. And obviously, we, we're big like fans of DoorDash. So yeah, big DoorDash fans, big fans of you. Just appreciate like, your what time. What a cool career, man. Like, I think you lay a model of like, I've talked about this on the podcast before, like being experimental and doing different things at different places, I think makes you better as you go along, man. And you are a manifestation of that. So congratulations on that. And congrats on having a cool fucking career. And like, if you got any coupon codes laying around for Louis Vuitton, I accept. If you have them for DoorDash, I definitely accept. Interestingly enough, I spend way more money through DoorDash than I ever have in my life on Louis Vuitton. There you go. All right, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, I really appreciate bro. it. All right. Thanks, Adam. Peace. Take care. Bye.